Welcome everyone to Just Crypto. My name is Vanessa. We've got a great show here. We're going to talk to Mike from MantaDAO. We're going to get into all the features of MantaDAO, what they're bringing to the Kajira ecosystem. We'll talk a little bit about philosophy of DAOs as well and really get in deep. But before we, st we get started, uh, I would like to let you all know that this channel is about learning, not FOMO. Uh, neither Mike nor I are financial advisors, so whatever you hear here, uh, Today, don't take that as an inducement to invest. Uh, we're just having a conversation and hoping that you all are here. So with that, I would love to introduce our special guest of the moment, uh, Mike, who is a member of Manta Dow. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on the show. And we, we had a much longer introduction, but Mike said, let's go with the Manta Dow one. Um, yeah. So with that, one thing we, we love to do uh, over here is to interact with people who may be in chat. So if you're on YouTube, you'll see a little chat bob uh, down your side. Just drop hi and let, let me know that you're here. Uh, if you do have any comments or questions as we go, this is a great opportunity. And we'll bring those on the screen and uh, give uh, Mike an opportunity to talk about them as well. Uh, the other thing that we love to do is get to know the human who is behind the awesome crypto services that we're working on. Uh, so, Mike, who are you as a human? How did you get involved in crypto? What does your journey look like? Yeah, so it's a bit of a long one. Um, I got into crypto, I think, around 2015. Um, so, so my background is largely computer science, programming for a very long time, working in IT, um, sort of a full stack software um, engineer. Um, in 2015, one of my friends mentioned, I was kind of familiar with Bitcoin by then, um, but I hadn't really got too into it. And one of my friends introduced me to Ethereum. Um, so that's when I started to think, oh, you know, I can start coding smart contracts and actually start developing. And it's always been sort of a hobby to build things in my spare time. Um, so I started sort of looking into it there. I kind of rode the, you know, the DeFi summer and the launches of Uniswap and the ICO boom and uh, There's a great time along. to be in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, my first project that I developed, I think, around that time was, I don't know if you remember the the 1 million pixel web page where that guy kind of sold. Oh, that was brilliant. It was genius. And I think there were a bunch yeah. of spin-offs from that as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So so that was that was launched quite a while ago, I think, obviously, prior to like blockchain. So I sort of like, I thought, oh, as a hobby, I'd build one on Ethereum. And that kind of piqued my interest. It was this this page where you could basically like select a pixel you wanted to color and or like to basically uh, put your mark on and then you paid a bit of ETH and then it would it would stay there forever, right? It was immutable, um, the smart contract. And then from there, it was mostly, I kind of went into the, the trading bot side of things. Um, what, one thing I found with um, bots and sort of like automated trading strategies is they're very quick to be able to build and sort of launch, right? And also very fun because it's kind of like a very PVP atmosphere. It's like you're competing against other people. Um, so I spent I spent quite a few years sort of um, doing that. Um, one of the projects um, during the ICO boom that I got very interested in was Aragon. Um, so that was a DAO platform on Ethereum. Um, they had this sort of modular approach where you could install things like sort of an app store for your DAO, things like a payroll app or, you know, something for the treasury or for like fundraising. Um, and that's kind of when I first became interested in sort of DAOs and the future of DAOs as well. Um, following that, I mean, you know, we had the the collapse in 2018 where everyone got very depressed, you know, it, was, it seems quite regular in the, the cycles of crypto. Um, I still sort of stayed interested in it, you know, I was still building in it. Things obviously weren't quite as exciting because things sort of tended to, to level out a bit and just sort of stroll along. And then of course, um, what, what then happened is we started to sort of see this ramp up again in activity and user interest. Um, well, I'm curious before you kind of get to the, the, the rest of your, your journey, does sure. 2018 feel to you a lot like where we are now? 
Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of depressed people out there in this current bear market. I mean, potentially, yeah. I think I think the problem is the, the, the mentality, and I had the same thing in 2018, right, was that, like, that was the last time. That was the last mm. time we were gonna we were gonna have a bull market. It's over forever. There's no point to doing anything anymore. Like it's it's just sort of like human nature when that happens. I think, um, and that's generally how I felt. Um, I stayed interested purely because I thought the tech stuff was cool. But I thought that was it. That was done. Um, but yeah, it, it 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 did feel kind of similar. I think at the minute it feels a bit better than it did back then, um, mm. because back then it generally felt like it was over. Whereas I feel like now it kind of feels like things can go either way. You know, stuff can sort of stuff can sort of develop and come out and get some mass adoption. Um, I think there's a bit less depression than there was because people have now <laughs> seen it happen twice and they think, oh, it could happen again, right? <laughs> Different pattern matching. Cool. So you came out of the, the Great Depression of 2018 in crypto, and uh, what happened from there? Where, where did you take your passion? So I started to sort of develop this mentality, and I mean, I still have this mentality, right? Is that it seems like we spend every week within crypto talking about mass adoption but no one has achieved any form of mass adoption. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what we've kind of achieved is we've achieved a lot of speculation. We've achieved a lot of get rich quick schemes um, and we've achieved a lot of promises being given out by many, many people, right? Of what is to come, what's always on the way, but we never seem to get over that line of like mass adoption. Um, and that's kind of where my mentality was going with Ethereum and with everything. Um, and then I found um, Terra and Chai um and i think you know back then it was it was kind of this was around sort of 2020 early 2020 i think right or mid 2020 maybe um back then it was kind of the first example i'd actually seen um i mean we all know what happened in the end but it was the first example i'd actually seen right of kind of this this picture that i'd had in my head of real real sort of day-to-day -day users right actually using blockchain and crypto for for their tasks um rather than just sort of people who have you know metamask installed on their on their browser and they know how to recover a seed phrase right it's kind of just more this bridging to to normal folk who can just use it very easily um, well, were there any particular apps that you would point to and say like uh, you know that that did it for me as far as uh, a path to regular folks adoption i know for me alice app was one of them that i kind of point to but curiously if you have a list as well like i mean initially it was chai right chai was sort of the big thing that brought me to terra um, and then once I sort of, I saw kind of the goals and the messaging of going that way of, look, it's about delivering savings accounts. It's about delivering payments. It's about delivering all these things that people do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I feel like that sort of, that made me a lot more, um, interested in the ecosystem as a whole and mm -hmm. thinking like, this is the one, right? This is the one. Um, and I still kind of feel that, that, you know, things could have gone differently if, if different decisions were made on the, <laughs> on the path to where we went. Um, but that was kind of the, I, I think Chai was the most interesting one that peaked for me. Alice, of course, was, I think it was ushering in sort of a new wave of, of apps that could have come as well. Um, and I think they would have set us on a very different course had they launched earlier and we'd been less about sort of market caps and things and more about usability. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, Alice was obviously, you know, one of the ones that everyone said, um, during the testing phase and during the sort of pre-launch phase had a great UX and was just sort of like a regular financial account. Yeah, I remember after the crash, I, I think there was a notice or something that said, yeah, you can you can take your UST out and send it to your wallet. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not really worth it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So you, you, you came out of that experience. Um, and then how did you find Kujero? Was there a, was there a gap between the terror crash and you finding Kujero or did you jump straight on? Yeah. So, I mean, so my thoughts around sort of like the crash of terror and how terror went, I still feel like terror could have been a success. Um, but I think that the, the sort of strategy to get there was way too focused on bubbling up this mm. massive sort of um, debt pile, right? Rather than like getting the revenues in. I think if we'd been much slower with like sort of lower interest rates and, you know, sort of not really so focused on just get as much capital flowing into Anchor as possible, that things could potentially have gone a bit different. I mean, Lunar obviously wouldn't have gone as high as it did and maybe there wouldn't be as many users, but it could have been like a strong and steady growth, like a business rather than sort of the rush in and the rush out that we saw. Yeah. Um, on Terra, I, um, I founded a project called Astral Money and kind of it was basically targeted towards being the, the Alice of Europe. Um, and we, we had agreements for, you know, 10,000 debit cards for people to use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we had, um, you know, all sorts of, um, we, we basically had an app that was at the stage of like three weeks from launch when everything collapsed. Um, so following that, you know, the, my mind was obviously in a very difficult place. Um, but what ended up happening was that, you know, I kind of realized that I still felt the same and that like. If we can build up an ecosystem based on a sort of sustainable business model of revenues um, and getting like uh, rewards based on those revenues, um, mm -hmm. then you know any blockchain that does that still has a bright future. Um, and Kajira was the one that obviously very much resonated with me because of their approach to you know we're not just here to print endless emissions and do this. We're going to grow strong, strong and steady right all the way up. Yeah, and it very much sounds like your antidote to what caused you uh, Luna to collapse, which was they tried too too quickly, too fast, and Kajira's, as you say, organic, slow and steady. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, I just found that it still sort of resonated with the messaging that I was looking for. Um, the team's obviously fantastic, right? And the way that the way and the speed that they deliver is unmatched, I would say, definitely within Cosmos, at least anyway. Um, and I mean, if you look at any sort of TVL chart for Kajira compared to any other ecosystem. Kajira's is very much a sort of slow and steady, strong growth, um, rather than sort of like the, the sort of hype waves that get ridden all the time. Um, so I, I think seeing that, I was kind of like, okay, they're willing to make sort of the decisions that, you know, they're not looking for the, the very short term explosive growth that might not be sustainable. They're looking for long term, here's the picture. Awesome, awesome. So, so was that what did it for you? Were there other aspects in terms of choosing Kajira as a place for you to kind of bring your talents? I think it just ticked all the boxes. One of the things on Terra, for example, that really resonated with me because I'm still looking at, you know, what is actually friendly from a UX perspective and can potentially have mass adoption. And one very simple thing that I think is really underestimated is the ability to pay gas fees in a stable coin. Yeah. Um, like so many chains, you have to like buy their native token to pay gas fees. And I think if you're speaking to know like your grandma and they have to pay a fee in something called like Juno or Ethereum or whatever, like they, <laughs> they, they have no idea what that means, right? So if you're trying to build like a mobile app, which looks like a kind of typical finance app for them with the same user experience, you need to be able to pay fees in something they understand. Um, so that was one thing which I don't think many people ever talk about that I really missed from Terra when I went to these other ecosystems. Obviously, Kujira has various different options for gas, right? So you can you can customize and, and decide what your app's going to use. Um, and I think from a UX perspective, that's fantastic. And then alongside that, it's this it's this aggregation of sort of revenue towards stakers that I thought plays out really well. Um, right now, it's sort of like every protocol is sort of isolated 
and just has to focus on sort of rewarding their own users for the token that they printed. And they get into the stage where, okay, they can't generate enough revenue and no one else is going to give them revenue. So mm. everyone is like a time bomb. Uh, with with Kajira, there's a lot of synergies where the revenue flows from different sources into the central focal point, right? Where sort of Kuji is sort of the base layer. And, and I think I think that works quite nicely without sort of needing the, the these emissions to sort of subsidize, right? Because you have multiple products that are actually generating revenues, which can be enough to sustain basically the ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of even the large L1 protocols, like they're not making enough to have any reasonable security budget right now. Um, and at least with something like Kajira, I agree, there's, there's a path, right? There's lots of... Uh, types of uh, apps on top of it that could eventually make it completely self-sustaining. No, absolutely. Um, and I think what we find from some of the ecosystems as well is that like they don't really have any solutions to the problem. It's just like, oh, how do we cut back on emissions? Like that's the, it's 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 very sort of simplistic in its thinking. I mean, we see this with a lot of AMMs as well, right? Like, I don't think there's any AMM in Cosmos that is making enough trading fees to be anywhere close to the emissions that they're giving the incentives. Um, it's like a factor of 10, right? Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous how much more they're giving in incentives. And obviously they realize the problems there, but there are no ideas really that say, look, here's how we, yeah. here's how we fix this. It's just like, oh, maybe we can sh cut down emissions here a bit and move some of this from stakers to this. And it's, it's just sort of like kicking the can down the road in my opinion. I think that's an astute observation. Also, I did want to pop over quickly to chat. A few folks have popped in. Want to say sure. hi to Crypto A. Welcome. Uh, Prospector, good morning. Good to have you back. Uh, Pax, welcome. If anyone else is here, just drop a hi. Let us know that you're here. Um, so let's keep let's keep talking about Kajira. So you decided to, um, you know, come into the Kajira ecosystem. Uh, what was the first thing that you began working on uh, on, on top of Kajira? Um, it was mainly sort of liquidity and trading bots for Finn. Um, I mentioned like my background kind of pre Terra was trading bots and things like that. And um, I kind of reverted back to that after Terra um, purely because it was, you know, you feel lost and it's something I could get into quickly to sort of preoccupy myself. Um, I do crypto full time. So, you know, like eight, 10 hours a day, it's after Terra, it's pretty hard to sort of keep my mind occupied because I'd been spending 10 hours a day on Terra, like working on astral money. <laughs> and then suddenly like, you know, you feel a bit lost. Um, Astral kind of still continued and still continues to this day and is being built. Um, but obviously the, the sort of feeling and like keeping yourself motivated and avoiding burnout is a bit harder when it's, it's mm. something that's come out of a complete collapse like that, right? So Kajira was sort of the bright spot for me and building these bots for Finn um, kind of helped like distract the mind and sort of give me something a bit positive. Um, so mainly it was around, um, it was around that sort of area of just, you know, bots and automation within Finn. Um, I then, you know, I engaged with Dove and Hans and the Kujira team and said, look, I love what you guys are doing. Like, I'd like to help out in any way I can. Um, I contributed somewhat to like, um, the, the algos with Bo and sort of getting that off the ground and just sort of as much as I can sort of trying to help the team along with ideas and how we can sort of further Kujira as an ecosystem. That's awesome. And and before we jump into to Mantidao, um, given that Astral is about debit cards, can I ask when we're going to get a Kajira debit card? Is that a thing? So so I I would love to do that, right? So we we Astral actually still has the agreement for these ten thousand debit cards that we'd sort of pre-ordered, right? It's it's a case where we still have sort of the entitlement to that. Um, the technical sort of enablement of it, however, um, the way that. I don't want to get into too like many technical details, but obviously the way that the um, cards work, it requires basically support from a specific service provider for the Kujira blockchain. Um, previously, that service provider, they supported Terra. Um, they don't currently support Kujira. 
if they did, then there may be sort of a path towards a debit card. So it's it's all about conversations down that route, right? And exploring that before that can sort of be offered. Um, but it's definitely something that's been discussed already um, and that we've sort of looked at and obviously like further down the path, hopefully the, the pieces fall into place for something like that. Cool, epic. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind and ask you again sure. in six months. <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's talk about MantaDAO. Uh, what is MantaDAO? So MantaDAO is, it's it's a few things, right? So initially, the way that it sort of came about was that I was looking for gaps within Kujira. Um, the one thing I'd noticed within Kujira was potentially a, a, a bit of a lack of um, teams actually building. I thought there's a lot of gaps in Kujira that can be filled, and there's a lot of sort of low-hanging fruit of things that um, are relatively obvious to build um, that can deliver revenues and can be a good project to launch. Um, so I first came up with the idea of Manta Swap. Um, which was basically just the you know the ability to actually swap from any to any token in a single transaction. Um, the reasoning behind that was that users are very much used to the AMM experience, and obviously having only the order book, some people get very overwhelmed by that if they haven't used it before. Um, so it was again down this sort of UX thinking of can we present something that's a bit friendly. Um, so I started working on that, and then decided you know like what's the actual path for this right? Like how does it run? Um, seeing the comment, there's a single comment that I always see mentioned within the Kujira chat over and over again, which is I wish I could build things or like, I wish I could like build a protocol or I wish I could build this or do that. Right. And it's this sort of urge that people, they love Kujira and they want to be involved with something somehow. They want to have sort of like the feeling of being sort of hands-on, like they have an impact in something being built and being driven. Um, and I think that's a really cool thing to try and nurture and get people involved with. So Manta DAO was, okay, let's take that product, this Manta Swap, and sort of wrap it up into a DAO um, and try and make it as in the hands of the community as possible, right? Like not just, I've mentioned this before, sort of the smokescreen of DAOs on other chains, which is like, it's not really a DAO, it's just called a DAO and there's some government <laughs> props, but the team like basically just decides what happens and it's, it's, it's not really running the way it should be. Um, I wanted the idea behind this to be that, okay, it's completely owned by people. Um, and then the people choose who the devs are, or they can like basically be the boss of the devs instead of the other way around. Right. Like instead mm -hmm. of the team being the boss of the people who hold the token, it's like the people who hold the token, they control who the devs are. The devs like put in for proposals to develop stuff. And then the DAO decides whether they'll approve that proposal and that funding to develop things. That's a very interesting model. I think we were joking before the show that uh, the, the D in DAO stands for Discord. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. that's, that, that's the, the largest amount of kind of group interaction, really. And it's not really about governance. But I am curious because, uh, you know, we'll get into to tokenomics, but, you know, surely the uh, developers hold a meaningful share. So even then, you know, having a DAO is still the, the, the developer team would have a large amount of influence over what happened on that platform. Yeah, that happens in pretty much every DAO. And I think that's one of the problems that I had, right, was that many DAOs, it's like they say they're a DAO, but the team's already decided where all the tokens mm. go. So it's not really a DAO, right, because you've already made all the key important decisions <laughs> and you kind of left them with, okay, look, here's the little piece that you can have to make your like impact on the decisions. So my idea was, okay, let's split this on this head. Let's make no decisions like accept enough to be able to get it in the hands of the people and then let's have them sort of be able to direct the course okay here's how the token distribution is going to be here's where it goes um and kind of get the approval 
of the people, right? Like that are in control of the token, I think. So, <laughs> so for, for Mantadao, we decided, well, the, the decision was basically that it's a hundred million supply, 95 million goes to the Dow treasury and then 5 million went to produce makers, right? And that was purely, that 5 million was purely so that some people could be in the Dow instantly to be able to decide the rest of the tokens, right? That's a really fascinating model. Like, I don't think I've seen a DAO that starts with almost the only decision you made was 5% of the supply gets airdropped to stakers. Yep. And, and... That's the only decision. Yeah, I mean, the hard thing with that was that I had so many DMs from people as well saying, like, can you do this? Can we do this? Can we have a partnership? Can you put incentives on? I'm like, I can't. I like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not the boss. Like, I'm the whole point is that, like, I, I do that decision and then that's it, right? The people can make the decisions through proposals then. Um, it's it's an experiment. I'm not familiar with any other platform that's done that either. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if there are any and how that went. Um, but I thought that you know it's it's a much nicer route because I now have skin in the game because any tokens that I have, I have acquired on the market. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you know, like I'm I'm as I'm under sort of the same pressures as everyone else in terms of okay, I want this to succeed because I am also financially exposed as other people would be. It's not just sort of like a, a free 20% that I've sort of decided myself, which I think is quite a good way to do it, right? Yeah, and I think it does align incentives. You see a lot of like VCs get the token allocation as soon as they vest, you know, they're sitting on a 10, 20, 30x. And why wouldn't you sell? Like that's a great profit, take profits, right? Exactly, right. And and, and, it, and it does mean that, you know, if if you do look at sort of the, the price action of a token, if it drops 20, 30, 40% for a user who's invested, you know, his $500 of savings, that's a really big sort of thing for him, right? That's, that's emotionally, that's quite a bad thing for him. But for a VC who's already like 20, 30 X up, he doesn't care. Yeah, know? yeah, it doesn't matter. I wanted to say hola to, to Brian, welcome. Um, Jacob is asking you to name and shame the service provider for the debit cards uh, so he can spam them on, on crypto Twitter. Uh, I, I don't recommend doing that though. Yeah, I can't do that one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, NDA is in place. Uh, and Sakura, welcome. Um, yeah, I have to catch up with you on the last little bits of the, the ledger discussion. Definitely another interesting discussion uh, that's been happening. Um, so as far as, as DAOs, let's focus on the DAO piece for a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about the tooling that you found on Kujira and your thoughts on tooling like Enterprise on, on Terra is kind of fairly advanced DAO tooling. We've got DAO DAO on Juno as another example. Like how are you approaching it from a tooling perspective? Yeah, so... I mentioned that obviously Mantiswap was the sort of first thing that was built and then it was okay let's wrap this up into a DAO um, so the first sort of piece there was okay how do we how do we actually get the DAO running where do we run it from what do we do with it um, I was pretty familiar with enterprise um, like I quite like enterprise um, it's along the same lines of that um, sort of project I mentioned on Ethereum Aragon right it's this platform to create your own DAOs um, and those sort of platforms have always fascinated me um, so enterprise when it came along I thought was really great um, I looked at that and it's, a lot of it came down to sort of balancing, okay, how do you sort of run a DAO for Kujira, but you're running it on a different chain? Um, because there can be a very big disconnect there, right? Um, if you want to do any form of proposal that requires um, any treasury assets going anywhere, it's pretty much impossible to sort of do it cross-chain in an easy way um, without sort of introducing the these hoops to run through. Um, so I had looked at that. The other sort of thing with enterprise is that it doesn't have any support for native DNOMs. It only supports CW20 tokens. Um, so if the Manta token was on um, Kujira, you can't actually create a DAO on Terra with that. Hmm. Uh, so introduced quite a lot of barriers when I looked at these um, other tooling platforms. It's the same for DAO DAO on um, Juno as well. 
Um, I ran a poll on Twitter and obviously asked people, you know, what do you want? Do you want basically something Kajira native or on one of these platforms? And of course, the community chose very heavily for something Kajira native. So even though it was, you know, it's much more of a technical lift and there's a lot more development work in it. Um, there's some pretty good standards within Cosmos for developing DAOs. Um, so relying on those contracts, you know, I basically got to work on building something that was appropriate for Kujira, um, that kind of has a nice UX as well, hopefully, um, <laughs> and you know that, that that people can use and 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 actually sort of get involved with the the running of the DAO quite easily. You 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 very quickly talked about what I think is alpha for all of us. So there's a platform that you've built that allows people to uh, do DAO management. Is it specific to Manto or is it more generic? Anyone can use it. Oh, and that's, that's not quite what I said, but having said that. <laughs> Sorry for extrapolating. I was getting no, yes. excited. No, that's fine because this is this is comments that I've mentioned before anyway. Um, so obviously one of the things I built, right, I built all of, all of this sort of DAO tooling for Manta DAO on Kujira. Um, and then one of the ways I like to work with everything is basically I have this approach of low hanging fruit. I always like to look for the things that are the least amount of effort for the most amount of value, right? Like where are the pieces where you can actually just do a little bit of tweaking and something is really good, like in terms of delivering value back to the ecosystem. Um, so a follow on thought from obviously building MantaDAO was, look, I could take these pages from MantaDAO, I could take these contracts, I could just wrap them up into basically a factory contract that allows anyone to deploy the same thing. Um, and so the, the idea there, and this will probably be a proposal that will go into MantaDAO is, okay, let's let's build a platform like Enterprise, like DAO-DAO on Kujira that just gives the same experience as MantaDAO, right? Minus the Manta swap part. Uh, people can see their own treasury, they can do their own proposals, they can have their own token, and people can sort of organize into these um, these DAOs, these groups, and, and run whatever they want to run. I think that's one thing that's very good in Kujira is I've always felt like the community is a bit different, like they're programmed a bit different. Um, people very much sort of, they're very positive in general, even when times are a bit tough, I've noticed. Um, and then I've also noticed that people seem to do quite well at, at getting into these little groups, these little collectives. You know, we've seen the Shrimp Gang, we've seen the Kujirans, there's, there's various different little alpha groups and things like that. There's all sorts of um, sort of lighthearted, but positive sort of groups as well. And a lot of them are trying to run treasuries and things. So, you know, I thought it's, it, it's a great way to sort of have an extra protocol on Kujira that can generate revenue. Um, but also keep that sort of community mentality going as well. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a you, another example of just like the complete ecosystem coming together and reinforcing each other. Uh, we got a comment from Ryan here who's sharing your pain on cross-chain treasury management. Uh, maybe we could get uh, Ryan to bring Liondao over to Kajira. Who knows? Um, yeah, so I mean, that could obviously, that could always be an option, right? I could quite easily deploy the Manta DAO, DAO pages for Liondao and there could be a sub-DAO on Kajira. There's a, there's a lot of possibilities that can happen um, for, for people who want to deploy DAOs on Kajira, I'd say. That's that's fantastic. So we spent a lot of time talking about the DAO. I did want to dig into MantaSwap as well. But before we move on, is there anything else about MantaDAO that you think is special or worth noting that you want to share? Um, I think just that, you know, if you want to get involved, it's definitely going to be very different from other DAOs. Um, the real goal is to have sort of a small community of people who feel like they're kind of running a business. Um, the target is not just sort of building products. It's kind of to run the products like it was a software development company, focusing on you know actual business plans and revenues and 
feeding that into a treasury, but then treating the treasury as if it was sort of uh, a VC or some sort of investment arm, right? And that it tries to make financial decisions based on like targeted profit and, and actually generating yield back in. And then at some point in the future, you know, that can evolve into, okay, let's start rewarding stakers. Let's do some sort of model that, that feed back, feeds back those treasury, um, treasury revenues to, to the actual users of the DAO. It's really fascinating because it's almost like you're trying to replace the, the corporation with the DAO and, and, and have it act like a corporation would in terms of its you know profit seeking and how it invests. So the, the DAO uh, platform name will probably be Court Protocol. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that, that's exactly sort of how I've been thinking about it, yeah. Uh, and so maybe philosophically then, uh, what would you see is the difference between a, a DAO and a corporation when, you know, a corporation has a board of directors and shareholders and employees, uh, like how is the DAO going to be different? Yeah, that's a good question. Right? I mean, aside from obviously the, the the way that these things are run, there's a much more transparent manner to a DAO. Um, you know, in a corporation, generally the decisions are always put forward by specific people who are at the head. And it's very much top down in a DAO. Anyone can propose a, dis a decision to be made, right? Um, there's no people in charge necessarily. There are people that will have different weights of input, um, but I think that's only fair because generally, you know, someone technical minded is going to be better at looking at technical decisions. Um, someone who's heavily financially invested is probably going to be a bit better at looking at sort of the financial decisions that are made as well. But as long as it stays sufficiently decentralized, I think it's a much better way of sort of running. Um, but again, it is very much an experiment. Um, one of the ideas I like is that it can be a lot more flexible, right? Within a corporation, you're pretty, you're pretty rigid. You have specific people in there doing specific roles and moving them in and out is quite hard, you know, especially if you have, for example, um, you know, technical guys building something within a DAO, you know, you can do a proposal to sort of remove this tech team or not do this and, <laughs> and that can just sort of flow and it can happen. Right. And everyone is usually in agreement that that's what happens because it's governance you agree that's what happens in a corporation you could argue and say no that decision doesn't happen because of this reason or that reason right it's 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 a lot more easy to sort of see where the pathway is going in a DAO, i would say so I'd, I'd love to dig in a little bit to you mentioned you know certain expertise will have certain weights on certain decisions how do you see that practically manifesting to ensure that you know technical folks can be making more of the technical decisions within the DAO. This is probably where the experiment part comes in, right? Um, one of the other, you know, I say that these are comments that I see quite regularly, um, and this is one thing that every developer sees within crypto. I think is you'll always get a comment from a user in some chat saying like, "Why don't we just build this?" or like, "Why don't we just do this?" Right? And when you're a dev, like you see that comment, and in your mind what you're actually thinking of is like your code that you've written and like what it would take to actually implement that decision. And in some cases it's very small. And in other cases, it's like, that's like four months of work. That's why we don't do that. Right. Um, and but it's also part... interesting because an engineer would tend to look at that and say, Oh, it's four months of work. So I'm not going to let my mind go down that path because it's too hard. Uh, so no, someone without that knowledge is like, Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Let's go down that path. And maybe there's something in the middle. Right. No, absolutely. And that, that's why I want the DAO to be seeing devs, including myself, as more of like service providers, right? In terms mm -hmm. of like the the way that these things should work for building is that, okay, people can suggest ideas and things like that. Um, but what ends up happening is that um, the proposal will come in for myself. It'll say, look, here's what we propose to build. Here's the funding we require. And then people can choose to basically, you know, accept that 
or they can reject it and search for someone else to build it. Um, that's sort of the goal behind that, right? Awesome. How do you avoid the, the tyranny of the majority? Uh, where, where there might be a majority of people who have stake, who have a particular interest. And what we've seen in other places of, is that interest tends to be to, to grow their finances. And so the, in a sense, they abuse the process of a DAO uh, to either buy the influence and, and do a direct attack or to do kind of a more long-term attack on kind of siphoning the funds to interest that they have. Yeah, so this this was a particular problem for like the, the launch of Manta DAO as well, right? It's like l having to protect against governance attacks. And the reason for that is obviously the 5 million airdropped and the 95 million in the Manta DAO treasury. Um, so it's a it's very much a gradual process. So one of the things I looked at very early on is what's the distribution of the airdrop. Um, I actually reached out to key people that I knew had extremely large amounts of um, Manta. And so Sumo was one and we organized an OTC deal where I purchased that Manta from him. Um, and a lot of this was mainly just strategy to protect against governance attacks mm. on the launch. Um, so once I was sort of sufficiently happy with the with the sort of distribution, knowing that, okay, it doesn't look like anyone's going to be able to get 51% early on. Um, I deploy the contracts. I make sure there's sufficient amount staked early so that no one can basically, you know, insta-stake and put proposals forward with a very small amount in there. Um, and there's this constant focus on, you know, protection of the treasury and actually looking at, yeah. okay, what's the distribution currently? And I think the DAO will need to regularly analyze that and say, look, at any given time, what's our danger of a 51% of a um, attack? We did see on DAO DAO on Juno, right? The the Aqua DAO was governance attacked and they minted a ton of tokens and sold them. Um, I think the biggest danger for, for that is people's disinterest in the DAO. Like mm. if people aren't interested in the governance side of things, then someone can just sneak in and do that. And that's pretty much what happened with Aqua. And I, I get the feeling no one cared. No one cared that this person was acquiring 51%. Like, um, so I think you need to be really, you need to be really sort of like mindful and constantly monitoring what's happening with your distribution of the token. Um, when it comes to the treasury, it's a gradual, a gradual transition of actually getting that full 95 million into the treasury. Um, and that will happen as the distribution of Manta comes out of the treasury to to sort of different folks, right? Um, and the main cause of that is just, if you stick in the full 95 million immediately, you make it sort of um, a motivator for people to try and take over the DAO. Whereas if you do it a bit more gradually, you wait for the manta to disperse a bit, then you can obviously be a bit safer on that side. I really appreciate the way that you're thinking about it. I think the, the first step is people even knowing that they need to care about something like this, which I think the challenge with Aqua was they didn't have enough technical people to even consider the governance attack as, as a thing that could happen. Yeah, I think I think the other thing with that is that there's there's kind of there's contradictory approaches to it as well, right? Because within DeFi, what me, most people want is they want staking APRs. They want to stake to, to get APRs. Um, and the problem is, if you don't have APRs, do people get less interested in the DAO? Um, so right now, Manta DAO doesn't have any form of rewards. Um, and that's, again, part of the approach of I don't make any decisions. So it has no form of rewards set up. And of course, the DAO can maybe decide that they want to set up some form of rewards. Um, but I do find with many DAOs, what you end up getting is if you have a good staking APR, people will just stake and then they will leave and just come back in six months. Mm. They don't care what the proposals are. They don't care about the content and they don't really care about the DAO. They just want the the tokens, like the, the APR, right? 
Yeah, and I think that's reasonable, right? People have have busy lives, and it takes a lot to be. Uh, essentially, it, it is almost like another job to be part of a DAO, as if you're part of a corporation. Not a full time job, but it requires attention, knowledge, and even just keeping up with the Telegram is a, a challenge. No, I agree, but I, I think it also comes back to the the ticking time bomb thing, right? Where you're 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 focusing on sort of like you end up having these emissions, and it's mm. like okay, well, one day these will one day you won't have those anymore. So you have to have some other approach. That, that approach cannot work forever because eventually you will run out of emissions and then what happens to your DAO? It's like you need something to sort of replace it, right? You need you need revenues, you need something real. It's a very interesting parallel to what Kajira is doing and you know how they have non-inflationary as well. It's 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 taking the slow, tough approach to building something that hopefully is long lasting. No, absolutely, exactly right. I think I think you know within Mantadao, I could have said that there's this much for emissions. I could have thrown them at Bopals and at staking and tried to get everyone locked up for you know 21 days but I think that longer term this will pay off um, I think you know one aspect aspect to that is that the people that have staked are the people that care they're the people that will discuss the proposals and put thought into it and we know that then the people who are voting are the people that care as well so they're going to do what's best for the DAO I've got uh, I guess a little thing that I, that I have to share in full disclosure I'm not staking my manta I'm sticking it in both for the APR <laughs> no I mean that, that's good too right liquidity provisioning is needed um, it's an essential part of, of you know having a healthy treasury and having a healthy DAO um, we've just passed actually the first proposal for the DAO about maybe one hour ago um, and that is actually incentives on the the manta USK Bopal so I think the APRs are quite a bit higher now. Um, and that's purely so that you know we, we can build up this liquidity, we can have a healthier market, um, and we can start sort of distributing the manta that I mentioned so that we have a, a more sort of decentralized um, holding list. Awesome, very, very cool. Let's talk about MentorSwap now. So you mentioned an AMM-like swap experience. Uh, that sounds great, but I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than just putting a pretty UI on, on a swap, right? What's behind the scenes for the swap? Yeah. So. Um, with Finn, you do obviously get the capabilities to do swaps, um, but because it's an order book, um, you obviously have your pairs and the swaps that are supported on Kujira's Blue, for example, or within Finn directly, is only from the tokens on the pair, like between each other, right? So if you want to go from a token, from token A to token B, and there's no pair between them, that means you have to do multiple swaps. Now to do those multiple swaps, there's multiple different routes you can take to get there, right? So if you want to go from, let's say, Atom to Luna, there's no Atom Luna pair, but there is an Atom USK, Atom USDC, Atom Kuji pair. So you could go through any of those three order books and then go through one of those to the Luna pair. Um, so calculating sort of the best route to do that, that was the challenge. Um, so the way that Mantiswap works behind the scenes is it will look at the state of Finn at any given time. You give it the token that you're putting into it you state the token that you want out of it and you give it the amount that you're putting in and it will calculate the route across all the order books to find you the best output, whichever one will give you the lowest price impact and the, the most value on the other end. So now I know on, on, on Finn, there's certain order books that, that have a lot of liquidity in them and other ones which have very little liquidity. Um, how do you kind of address that particular aspect to it? So it's not just the price that you see on Finn, there's, there's a whole other you know liquidity aspect, especially if you're doing large swaps. Yeah, so so in its current form, it will take that into account in terms of once you sort of, you put in the swap that you want, it's gonna obviously use that liquidity to calculate the output. 
Um, but longer term, one thing we've realized is that most sort of every AMM that you you look at within DeFi, they they treat every trade as if it's the same and they have the same strategy for executing every trade. It's just kind of you put in, you get something out and it's executed in exactly the same way. Um, but that's not necessarily the best way to do it because a small trade, sure, it can be it can be executed at very low slippage um, and you can get a very good output. But once you get into the, the really high amounts, you either split that up into multiple trades um, or you suffer a pretty bad output um, and you affect the price quite a bit and then our bots will bring it back afterwards. Um, so longer term, um, we have this idea of sort of scaling up for larger trades. Um, the first sort of way of doing it is that, you know, if you're trading sort of a, a medium amount right now, you would generally split that up on any AMM. You would do one swap, you would wait maybe 10 minutes for the bots to bring it back to the real price, then you do another swap. And then you sort of, you keep doing that, right? So um, for Manta swap, we plan to introduce uh, DCA swaps um, so that basically you give it your input amount. If it's over a certain amount, what it's going to do is it's basically going to split that trade up into certain amounts. It's going to execute them, you know, um, over a course of minutes, and then you'll get the output after after it's basically completed all of those swaps. Um, so it does that thing that generally most people are doing manually anyway, but it automates it for them and it finds them the best route again and the best output for that. And then the second sort of method is if you take it a bit further, right? If you're looking at swaps that are, let's say, you know, really big, right? Like in terms of a percentage of the liquidity of a pool, they're extremely large um, and they're very rare swaps. Splitting it up into small swaps to save on slippage, you know, you'd have to do it over days because it's, it's such a large proportion of the pool. Um, so one approach to that is using what's known as a TWUM, which is a time-weighted automated market maker. Um, so you look at basically price oracles um, over a given period of time and you say to the user in a sort of forward manner, you say, look, you give me your input now, I then measure the price over the next 30 minutes and then you swap at that price. Regardless of how much you have, I will swap at that price. And so what they give you in return is they pay a slightly higher fee, right? Um, but because they're paying a slightly higher fee, they're getting a way better deal than they would um, they're still getting a way better deal than they would on any other AMM because you're guaranteeing to execute a specific price that is within the sort of the market average. How do you guarantee that? So if I came with a million USK, for example, and I wanted to swap it to you know some token that maybe only had 10 million of liquidity, can't the price move against you as you're trying to do this kind of slow swapping into it? So if we say... So, so the price can move against you, right? But what you can state is basically for, for a given pool, so you have this liquidity within that pool, so these specific Twom pools. Um, a user would come across and say, look, I want to buy Atom. Um, here's my here's my input, um, and I want to swap it over this period of time. The price can move against them, but generally within a 30-minute period, like people aren't going to be doing these sort of swaps during massive amounts of volatility. They're doing it when they want to basically take a position. When it's at that sort of size, it's very it's very rarely going to be some sort of like I instantly want to swap something out. It's they're taking a longer term forecast and they want to put you know like a hundred k or a million dollars into some specific token because that's the position that they're sort of they're speculating on. Um, so provided you have that like one million dollars worth of liquidity available. No one can forecast the price for the next 30 minutes, like no one, because if you if you knew what a price was going to do in the next 30 minutes, you would just be rich, right? So it's, it's a fairly secure method for the LPs because they know that no one can basically do malicious order flow. There's no front running. 
the person puts the input in and as long as the liquidity is there after 30 minutes it will basically consume all the liquidity it will swap it for the other token um, the lps obviously they do get a massive imbalance in terms of what they possess at any given time um, but it's way more advantageous in terms of aprs because you're getting very high um, um, volume on very small amounts of liquidity so the fee amounts end up much greater than you would get on any other sort of amm I think you just broke up my brain. <laughs> so, Sorry. Sorry. And yeah. I, I wonder if I, I'm the only one, and maybe I'm just a little slow today. Um, so so there, is, like... there is, there is okay. one other product that currently does this that I'm aware of. I think there may be others, but there's one that I'm familiar with on Ethereum called Integral. Um, so I would recommend potentially looking at that um, for sort of a similar model. Um, so they, they have this TWOM as well, where it basically works on the same model where you, you put in a giant amount of input, there's liquidity pool. As long as the liquidity pool is larger than the input, you basically will execute your trade after X amount of minutes based on the average price over that time. Is this liquidity pool something that, uh, say, MantraSwap would be maintaining? Or is it looking at the liquidity pool on you know, Finn and Bo and other places? You know, so the idea would be these are custom built liquidity pools purely because you you can't really you can't do it against existing liquidity pools because the, the liquidity providers haven't signed up for that sort of like risk system. Um, they're basically accepting more risk, but for much higher APRs in return. Interesting. Um, is it analogous in some sense to like a, a Uniswap V3 um, version of uh, concentrated liquidity? Um, yeah, it, it can be right um, in theory, except you're you're kind of you're not specifying a specific concentrated liquidity range. Um, you're basically accepting that you will do the swap regardless of what the price is over the next 30 minutes. You're basically making that commitment as a liquidity provider um, and the user is getting the guarantee that, look, they can swap this amount of of a token with this amount of slippage, which could be like 0.1 percent. Right. So even if you have like, let's say you have a, a one million dollar um, pool and it's balanced at 50-50, someone comes in and wants to swap 250k one way. Now, in a traditional AMM, that's gonna they're gonna get a, get a terrible price, right? Because it's shifted the balance of the pool, they'll get an awful price on any typical AMM. But on this one, it's basically saying, look, you'll get the exact market price, and it will shift the balance of the pool massively, but you will get the market price. Now. Because it's a very small amount of liquidity now that can handle 250k trades, the fees that go to the LPs is much higher than you would get on any AMM that can handle that trade at the same slippage. Ah, interesting. So it's almost like concentrated liquidity plus automatically setting the price to averages over the, the forward-looking yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm at least in maybe not on the same page, but in the same book. It's, it seems uh, a very, very it's, novel uh, strategy. It's concentrated liquidity in the in the sense that the LPs sort of accept that they will go, you know, 100% one into one token potentially if the swaps are there mm. that consume liquidity. Um, but it's not in the sense that there's no real price range that they'll accept. They're just accepting the market price over the next 30 minutes. Awesome. So, so there's, there seems like there's definitely two actors here, right? There's the liquidity providers, and then there's the people wanting to do the swaps. How are you looking to build up that kind of providing set of, of the market? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think on the TWAM side of things, one thing I really want to get to on the providing side of things, really, for MantaDAO as a whole, and this is not just for that, is, is this concept of protocol and liquidity. Um, and this is a very large sort of 
discussion topic, I would say, um, because, you know, it, it doesn't just affect sort of those pools, but I think this is really the path that we want to go with um, Bo and the Treasury as well within Manta Dao um, is mainly let's try and move away from incentives as much as we can. We may need them at the beginning, but let's actually look at transitioning, right? I think most platforms and protocols, they start with emissions, they're still doing emissions and they have no plan to sort of move to anything else. Um, but we really want to sort of like, okay, let's use sort of these incentives to start with, but let's focus on, okay, how do we move away from it and go to sort of this, this protocol and liquidity. Um, so that would be the real goal, whether that's how it sort of starts out. I'm not too sure yet. Um, I would say that for the Twumples, it's probably a bit further out than anything else that, that we've discussed for, for Manta Dao. Are there um, specific uh, protocols maybe within Ethereum that you're you're taking some learnings from as far as protocol earned liquidity? Uh, you know, at least a few that I'm familiar with are Ohm, which doesn't seem to have uh, worked out as well as they'd intended. Um, no, so I mean, I, I do like sort of the, the bond sale um, as a mechanism. Um, but I think with anything, like it's in moderation, right? Like I mentioned earlier that if you do this short term bubble of like, just grow really fast, really quick, like like Ohm did, then, you know, I don't think that ever ends well. But what I do like is, okay, we have a treasury. Let's do a small bond sale just to get a few sort of stable coins. Let's use those stable coins to, to go into this LP, or let's do a bond sale for the LP tokens directly um, to get that protocol and liquidity. I think, like, that's a good approach. I think if you just try and do it as quickly as possible, though, you're mm -hmm. just going to ask for... You're just going to ask for problems longer term, right? Um, and I think having it in a diverse way is a, is a good way to do it as well. Like having bond sales is one um, way to do it. But again, eventually that selling pressure on your token will come because that bonded token will eventually uh, mature and the user will have access to it to sell it. Um, but one of the way to do it is, okay, you can, you can talk to other projects. You can look at token swaps, right? Generally, every project doesn't want to sell their own token but they hold their treasury 100% in their own token. So they can't provide liquidity because they have nothing else. So there's these routes where, okay, you link up with other projects, you say, look, I'll swap you some of my token, you give me some of yours, we'll both provide liquidity on that pool. And then you're both kind of happy, right? Um, the real challenges with that come where you feel like it's a bad deal because you're obviously always gonna feel better about your own token than you feel about their token. Yeah, for, for sure. So, I mean, maybe the question people might have on their mind is, uh, when when is all of this planned for? Uh, so, so when will the kind of initial version of Mantiswap be live on mainnet? When will some of these other things kind of be targeted towards? Sure. So Mantiswap, um, the contract deployment is up for governance on Kujira right now. Um, and that should complete tomorrow. Um, I will probably spend at least one day just doing some testing and some minor bug fixes and just making sure everything is good to go. Um, so my target is most likely going to be the, the 26th um, of May or the 27th for the for the full mainnet launch where everyone can use it. Um, for some of the other pieces like the the, pro uh, the DAO protocol, um, I think you know a lot of this will be going through the Manta DAO governance first. So it's all a case of when those props go up. Um, Short term, the plan is that Manta DAO will have proposals up today for further incentives on uh, Bo. And then over the next few days, some real sort of discussion topics will come around treasury management, token swaps, and getting protocol and liquidity. I can say that in the background, there's already been reach out and conversations with other teams and other protocols on all sorts of different things.
How do you think about sort of cross-chain uh, liquidity? Uh, you know, I know I think Astroports uh, talked about their outposts and how they would like to have liquidity across chains. Uh, is that something that you're considering for Mantadala? Could you would you ever uh, want to tap into liquidity on Osmosis or even Arbitrum now that we have the the bridge support there? I think it's good to have liquidity on Osmosis and to have it in other places. Um, I think relying on it too much is not great. Uh, like you know, Kuji Kuji has a pool on Osmosis. Um, that it that it uses for its own trading um, for MantaSwap to actually utilize the liquidity, I think the low hanging fruit, right? I think it's a very heavy lift, but and I don't necessarily think it's very necessary. I think that there's steps that can be taken before, you know, way before that to to improve the liquidity on Kujira itself and to make Kujira a better trading experience. I think once those paths are exhausted, that's when you look at sort of like cross chain and like. You know, do we need to tap into other places? I, I think that's when my mindset would change for that. Oh, very interesting. Are, are you also looking at potentially other types of integration? So a couple that come to mind to me are the calculated finance folks, where they're obviously doing swaps, and now this could potentially give them, you know, better execution, a, a broader set of input uh, uh, coins. You know, is that something that you're thinking thinking through? Yeah, so the Calc team are fantastic, right? So I, I absolutely love everything that they've built so far. Um, and I speak with them on a pretty much daily basis. Um, so yeah, they, they already support the, the Manta token for their DCA. I've spoken with them about look, how do we sort of, how can we look at working together, you know, to make both Calc and Manta swap better. I obviously mentioned that you know Manta swap will be looking at sort of DCA swaps. Um, so of course, like the first people I spoke with were the Calc guys. I said, look, the, there's obviously synergies here. Let's see how we can sort of work together and what can be done to sort of integrate and, and support that. Will uh, Manta swap be part of Sonar when it launches? When it launches, likely not. Um, there's obviously <laughs> going to be some sort of development effort for it to, to be integrated. Um, that's actually probably the one conversation that I've yet to sort of get to. There's just been too much going on. Awesome, awesome. Well, I mean, we, we've covered a lot through this conversation. Um, is there anything about the plans that you have either for, for the DAO or for Mantiswap in particular that you feel like we haven't done uh, enough discussion about? Um, I don't think there is. There's, there's a lot going on, but a lot of it would just be sort of, you know, really heavy alpha leaking. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, just aren't finalized yet. So it's, you don't really want to get people's hopes up. Um, just that, you know, the real core focus is for the past, you know, few weeks and going forward over the next few days is, is all around sort of getting a really solid financial basis for the treasury and the DAO. Um, and actually having it being a force that can impact Kujira and like further Kujira's goals um, and the DAO's goals itself, um, along with, you know, getting Manta swap out and trying to focus on that revenue generation from having a product and, and getting this flywheel going. I'd like you to treat this as a safe space where alpha leaks are encouraged and welcome and they won't go beyond the confines of YouTube and whoever tweets about the video. No, I mean, a lot of them are just, they're just conversations with other teams that just haven't wrapped up yet. But once they do, of course, yeah, um, potentially we can we can have another chat and they can sort of release the, the finer details, right? Okay, folks can say I didn't give a good effort. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Manta token a little bit. So you've mentioned various value accrual mechanisms. How does it accrue value? Yeah, so this is the interesting one. I mean, right now it is purely a governance token for the treasury. Um, I mean, the idea there is that obviously the treasury receives all of the revenue from MantaSwap um, and it is set as the owner swap on MantaSwap contracts and it can set the fee. Um, so there is sort of that basis of a look, there's money coming into an address that the token controls. 
um, but there hasn't yet been sort of the, the decisions made in, okay, is there going to be an APR for staking? Are portions of those revenues going to be given out to stakers or going to be provided as incentives on bow or mm. airdrops or, or whatever, right? Um, those are decisions, again, that will be down to the DAO um, and not something that I've, I've, I've taken a decision on just yet. What has most uh, surprised you in a positive way from the experience that you've had moving over from Terra onto Kajera, kind of building this experience of MantaDAO? Honestly, it's the community. Um, like, I don't, I probably will sound biased, but I genuinely believe that if you go into any other community, even when times are rough, if you go into any of the other blockchain like chats or communities, everyone is extremely negative. Like everyone is like attacking <laughs> each other and like they're so at each other's throats. And then within Kujira, everyone's just talking about like shrimps and stuff. So I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just, that's the most positive thing for me. And it's the thing that keeps me going is that the, the people are just, uh, you know, it's really nice seeing how the community engages with the team, engages with the products and how much they sort of like, um, you know, enjoy the ecosystem, I think. If you're watching this, just randomly pop a shrimp into the telegram. Don't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And I can vouch for both sides of it, right? I've, I'm in a lot of communities and there's a lot of toxicity right now. Um, and Kajira has been a, a wonderful place to be part of. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Mike, uh, thank you so much for, for taking the hour with us, for talking us through, I mean, a lot of really heavy concept things. I love the philosophy behind what you're doing uh, with Mantadal. Um, everyone who's followed along live, thank you for engaging. Thank you for being here. really appreciate you. If you enjoy conversations like this where we go a little bit beyond just the headline, to, like dig into the details, uh, some, some technical, some philosophical, uh, please like and subscribe. I uh, really appreciate you. It helps support the channel. It helps keep me excited to, to keep coming here and, and know that, that people are here and listening um, and enjoy conversations like this. Uh, that's all that we had for today. Uh, I will say goodbye and wish you a wonderful rest of your day. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, everyone.